In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WATH Evans. Well, it looks pretty good out there right now, but uh, they say we're going to have thunderstorms today. 68 degrees at the moment, supposed to get up to 83 later. Hey, we got a special edition today. We got two topics to cover, but they're all related. It's that of uh, the Mount Zion Cultural Center. And Juneteenth. You're going to learn all about it if you don't know already. On today's edition. So, uh, good morning, folks. Welcome. Let me get some mics turned on here. And uh, our guests this morning, Milena Miller. And uh, now, do you, you really liked Milena, right? It's... That's it, Milena. Milena. Right. I, I, it's, it's a force of habit. I, it's okay. I know a Milena uh, very well, and, and so I may do it wrong once in a while. But Milena Miller and T. Ford, good morning. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Good well, morning. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Well, um, let's see here. Um, th- th- let's start with Mount Zion. Um, you know, now there's a Mount Zion National Park out in Utah. There's a hill in Israel, famous hill known as Mount Zion. Um, but Mount Zion Baptist Church, uh, it goes back to when? What's the history? Well, it's built, uh, really opened in 1906. Okay. Right, T? Uh, the structure that is located on the corner of Congress and Carpenter opened in 1906. However, the church actually started around 18 in the 1870s uh, in a house that was on Lancaster Street. Yes. Mm-hmm. So not too far away. Right. And um, tell us tell us what's unique about the culture of Mount Zion. Uh, well, uh, I think during uh, that period of of um, seeking freedom, we might say, Uh, folks who were traveling through this area headed north to, say, Buxton, Ontario, some of them decided to stay in this area. And I heard uh, our mayor, Steve Patterson, say one time that, uh, I believe he said a student took him uh, riding in one of the airplanes above Athens and he said when he looked down, he could not see anything but trees. He couldn't even see the city of Athens. So that, to me, says something about one of the reasons why they stopped in this area. Uh, it was certainly covered by many trees mm-hmm. where they could not be seen as they were moving uh, up the Ohio River headed toward Ontario. But there was also... Uh, an industry, brick industry, that was happening. There was a coal mining industry. So some of them did not continue their trip north. Some of them stopped in this area, or in Athens, Stewart, Chester Hill, uh, and among the trees, I might say. Okay, now let's just pretend that uh, we don't know why. But um, these people you're referring to were black, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. These were uh, Africans who had been brought to America and had been enslaved, yes. That's exactly uh, who and I'm talking about. they were headed to Ontario, why? Well, they were headed to Canada, to freedom. Freedom was con- considered so uh, an area. So the Canadians were way ahead of us in that regard? Y- I'm sorry. Okay. You said the in Indians? <laughs> the Canadians? Yes. Way ahead of us. <laughs> well, they—I don't believe they had any—they uh, had enslaved any people at that time. Okay. Well, and then there was Mr. Tabler, who you know um, was an old German man who um, 
had owned slaves, and I can't remember, I believe he came from Virginia, but he and his uh, one enslaved uh, person whom he married uh, began that whole family and the communities out in what is today Chester Hill, Mm -hmm. Bartlett, Barlow, Cutler, Kilvert, um, a lot of those communities that there are descendants there today that go way back to the times when the Tablers uh, began, you know, their families there. So that was part of this whole uh, mixed community, too, of African Americans who came here. And you, when we talk generally about the state of Ohio, um, was Athens unique in this regard? And I mean Athens, the region. Uh, or or was this something that was happening other places too? Uh, certainly, uh, they were seeking. I would say this was un- <clears throat> unique for the southeastern territory. Okay. I'm sure there were other parts of the country where this was happening, but for the uh, southeast territory, and remember, there one of the routes was right along the Ohio River. Uh, that's where they followed that to so-called the Northern Star. They followed the North Star headed toward Canada along the Ohio River. So it was a, a major, it was a thoroughfare through the Southwest uh, East Territory. So a lot of those, uh, Dave, river communities like Pomeroy and Middleport, I mean, if you've ever been to Pomeroy of course. and, you know, see the where the Morgan Raiders were and, you know, a lot of the... Um, uh, people who were fighting against slavery were uh, responsible all along a lot of those little communities along the river for bringing people over and uh, and hiding them and then sending them on their way north. This is certainly how they got here, how they got to McConnellsville and you know other places and just kept heading north, as T said, a lot of them and some stayed. So, so Mount Zion Church. Baptist Church. Um, 1906 was when the current building was built. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it it um, it has a lot of historical features to it, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Those uh, are, are probably most precious asset are those stained glass windows. Yes. Um, uh, there's uh, the Romanesque uh, rose window, for example. I don't know if that's replaceable. <laughs> Um, so that is, uh, they have been, I guess, mm, valued at between a half a million dollars, and we say a half a million dollars, and priceless. Mm. So that is certainly one of the reasons why we rushed in to save it, but also because of the, uh, the history uh, of the building. It was for them, for those who uh, were freeborn, some who were enslaved and also the indigenous people, they were the ones that built that church. And they built it on land that was given to them by probably one of the first black millionaires that was in this area. That was Edward Berry, who built the very famous uh, Ed, Berry, uh, Berry Hotel. Hotel. Yes. Uh, so he gave them that land to uh, build the church, which became their, well, what can you say, their everything. It was their place not only of worship, it was their place where they hung out, where they ate, where they gathered, where they met their families and did everything. It was, uh, they called it their beacon of light. Now, just since you brought it up, and it's not our principal topic today, but the Barry Hotel, how did Mr. Barry come to be uh, a wealthy man? Well, there was and I have to take credit, there was Martha Mary, (laughs) Maddie Berry, uh, whom he married and who was a a baker, pastry maker, and actually they started with a little bake shop. I see. Uh, And that bake shop uh, then began to, uh, and he was also somewhat of a chef, and he was known for adding to that bakery an oyster stew that became very famous and well-known, and everyone wanted some of his oyster stew. So out of that bake sh- uh, pastry shop and the small restaurant grew the 99-room Berry Hotel. Wow. Well, 
Mount Zion, um, is it still considered a church? Um, right now, it's considered an vacant, empty building that really? has been put on the National Register that is attempting to be rehabilitated by a group known as the Mount Zion Baptist Church Preservation Society. Uh, and the society uh, worked with Ohio University uh, students who did some uh, phenomenal research for us to find out not only from the community, but from uh, past alums and current students as to what they would like to see Mount Zion become. And from that data, we have developed a concept uh, thanks to a grant from the National Endowment of the Arts Citizens Institute for Rural Design who said, sent in an architect to also follow up with the community and we have a design there and the ultimate goal is a cultural center, a black cultural center, a performance space, a space for, uh, for students to uh, gather uh, first thing they wanted of course make sure you have broadband <laughs> and the other the other thing they asked for was a soul food restaurant how about that so uh, although our kitchen of course is is not capable of of a restaurant but the parish which is which was the the building right next door which is now a student rental were we to expand we could put that restaurant there but for uh, the immediate purposes, we could possibly cater from that kitchen, but not give them a soul food restaurant in the church. The broadband we could give them, and they could come and hang out with their computers, but but not a restaurant at, at this point. So, the, the um, how large an organization has you know how many supporters do you have involved in this effort? Is it a sizable group? Are you wanting to grow it further? Or is it uh, just fine the way it is? Well, I mean, mercy, of course, you want more. But, um, you know, how how much oomph do you guys have at this point? Well, it's a growing um, organization, <clears throat> nonprofit organization. Um, and the efforts that we are all making um, have really been expanded through... Uh, our success in obtaining uh, many grants from different uh, f uh, foundations and and sources, uh, and and that of course that word gets out, and when people in the community realize, um, as you know, Dave, I used to be the director of development for Appalachian Visiting Nurses and Hospice, and and it doesn't matter what you're doing when you're raising money for any organization. The old adage that you know, when people know that you are are, are successful in obtaining money, they want to be a part of that. And so we've begun to just increase the number of interested persons and donors and volunteers. Um, there are hundreds of donors. We've we've successfully three years ago uh, really reached out uh, when the bar weekend was happening, the Black Alumni Weekend here at Ohio University. That was well attended, and they really came on board because many of those people who attended three years ago, and I was selling tickets so at Baker Center, so this is kind of my my direct connection to the a lot of the attendees, mm -hmm. but they had been part of this um, choir that had been uh, started by Fran Dr. Francine Childs in the 1970s, and, um, and many of them had been in that choir. So they had been, they were just um, amazed that we had this organization going on. And so they are continuing to, uh, to, to give, to donate, and to really... Um, They've be given us a lot of great connections to important folks that we need to connect to this community, many of whom, by the way, do not even live in Ohio, you know, but who are successful yes, um, of course. people from other parts of the nation. So, Well, um, now let's see here. We have an event coming up, right? It's called Juneteenth. And um, this is a, a, nation, a national event, right? Uh, yes, it is celebrated uh, across the country now. It has had not been celebrated until recently. 
um, and even in Athens, Ohio, until last year was the first celebration uh, of Juneteenth here, uh, and it was uh, declared an Athens uh, annual event by our mayor, Steve Patterson, so we are celebrating the second Juneteenth uh, holiday on the Ohio University Green on September 18th, not on the June, actual, June I'm sorry, June 18th, not on the actual Juneteenth celebration day, which is the 19th. Uh, however, we will be doing it here in Athens on the 18th, and and oh, because no. there's been a group in Galpolis that's been celebrating uh, it for many years, so we don't don't much wish to conflict right now. Columbus, and of course, there are celebrations everywhere now that it's been declared a national holiday. And, and the history of June 18th, Juneteenth, excuse me, how far back does that go? <laughs> Well, let's roughly, roughly to uh, the uh, establishment of the signing by Lincoln okay. of Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which was uh, signed in the uh, 1800s by sure. him. However, a freeing the and then enslaved Africans, but the word didn't reach Texas until almost two years later <laughs> on June 19th. And when they found out, there was a huge celebration uh, in Texas, and they have been celebrating Juneteenth in Texas uh, since they found out those t that two years later from the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. So here in uh, the other parts of the U.S., the celebration for the Emancipation Proclamation was, was the day that was recognized, not necessarily Juneteenth, but... I'm sure that um, through lobbying, et cetera, uh, and the, the, the compelling celebrations that began to take place in Texas and other places, it has kind of now evolved also into a national holiday. So now we say we, we celebrate two days, uh, the one in June and the Emancipation Proclamation in September. But Juneteenth has really kind of taken off because of its uniqueness. Well, um, as you said, uh, there's a lot of events on the 19th, and that is, I guess, the official date. Correct. But uh, here in Athens, because they don't want to um, lessen other people's celebrations with uh, lower attendance and so on, you're doing something on the 18th. Correct. And um, so this event is going to take place at the... Um, Oh, the, the History Center, which is um, Tom O'Grady's effort and, and a bunch of other people, too, of course, um, just a block away from the Mount Zion Church, right? That's correct. Yes, that, will, that event will end the day's celebration, sure. which will be started uh, at, with a 10 o'clock health walk uh, from the um, Ohio University gate and actually Mount Zion will lead that particular walk that morning starting at 10 o'clock uh, to the uh, areas that we called Heritage Square, which will take you by the buildings that had been uh, built by in, uh, these enslaved indigenous and freeborn Africans in Athens. Um, now, Heritage Square. Heritage Square, <laughs> yes. Where, we, where, where is that? Okay, we like to define that as beginning at the Berry Hotel, which has been destroyed, ending at the, uh, or no, and then proceeding up to the armory, the World War I armory, then over to uh, Mount Zion on the corner of Congress and Carpenter, and then up to the Southeast Ohio yes. History Center. I got it. That would be the square that we have defined, but we have also now added Haining Hall, which was also designed uh, as a post office by um, Edward Cook Wilson, uh, who designed many post offices throughout uh, the state of Ohio. So um, it, it, the early event is a walk. Yes, and, and from 3 to 6, there will be vendors on the green also with, I'm not sure, with from the college food. college green? On the college green, okay. yes. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and that celebration will take place uh, from 3 to 6, and then we will conclude at 7 o'clock with the reenactment of the Bessie Smith story, who was a famous jazz and blues singer out of the 1920s. Uh, a young lady from West Virginia, also known as Lady D, uh, and West Virginia's first lady of the blues, uh, does a reenactment, a two-act play of Bessie Smith called The Lady and the Empress. Mm. Bessie Smith was known as the Empress of the Blues, and Lady D is known as the West Virginia Empress of the Blues. So we will uh, conclude with that two-act play there at the Southeast Ohio History Center that evening at 7. Now, Lady D, her real name is Doris Fields. Yes, Doris Fields. But uh, in... in uh, entertainment circles she's best known as Lady D. Now um, this concert or, or production whatever however you choose to call it is going to feature a lot of music right? Exactly. Yes. She's, mm-hmm. she's a singer. Primarily. Yes she's a singer and she reenacts Bessie Smith's story who uh, was kind of a tragic figure ending uh, she died at, at 43 in a, in a southern area because she could not get to a hospital that would treat her. Uh, interesting, Doris Fields came back to um, West Virginia State University to earn a degree there, and she ended up writing the play and researching Bessie Smith's uh, life and developing a play about her life as her thesis. And that's, that's what's going to be uh, show, right. uh, produced or... Uh, that's the reenactment. Given yes, mm-hmm. at um, the the history center. Correct. Um, on June eighteenth, from seven to nine p.m. and it's two acts and a lot of music. Exactly. So, so it, re- it really sounds great. I I I'm a one of my social groups. I think we're all planning on t- attending, and um, so. Let's see here now. Well, and there'll be lots for people in the community to do mm-hmm. uh, during the afternoon from three to six up on the college green too. It should be a lovely day, and there'll be. Uh, I think uh, we have something like uh, fifteen to twenty vendors, not really vendors, but participants. So there'll be a lot of tabling. Uh, one of the groups to which I belong, called Athens Rethink Plastics, will be there. There will be a lot of groups, though, that are there to support the Juneteenth um, celebration. And, uh, you know, so it'll be an opportunity for people to uh, to maybe um, pick up a little something for lunch and then just uh, wander through the campus and see. Uh, just a, you, you never know what you learn at these kinds of events. You know, a, a lot of really good information will be handed out that day. There will also be lots of music, yes. lots of music that will mm-hmm. be ha- happening uh, there also. And so we in- invited people to bring their lawn chairs and, and come and, and enjoy some of it. T. Ford and Milena Miller uh, are guests today, and we're talking about Juneteenth which in Athens will be primarily celebrated on the 18th, but uh, nationwide it's on the 19th. Um, T, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where, where, you, where, you know, where do you hail from? What are your interests? And uh, how did you come to be in Athens? And so on and so forth. Okay. We like to say, those of us who come from this area, and I'm from West by God, Virginia, uh-huh. okay? Yes. <laughs> uh, born and, and reared in a holler that was a coal mining holler. Mm-hmm. My dad was a coal miner. And um, that's one of the things also that we have to also stress, that there were blacks in Appalachia uh, and not, uh, not there necessarily as heavy workers, but as coal miners and developers of that particular area also. So that's where I grew up, along with uh, a huge family. Uh, I'm the 13th in my family. 
uh, and many of my siblings. Thirteenth out of thirteen. Out of thirteen, okay. yes. And of course, many of my siblings left the area seeking opportunities and jobs that was not offered there. Mm-hmm. But being the last <clears throat> coming through there, I had the opportunity to get a college education. My dad was not able to uh, do that for many of the others, but uh, I was uh, fortunate in having my sisters and brothers help me through the uh, college scene. Hmm. And I returned. My mom used to say, all of, the, all of my children left West Virginia and none of them stayed to give anything back. Hmm. And I often wondered about that. What did we have to give back? <laughs> but she was vigilant. Hmm. And every time I came to visit her, she would say, why don't you come and give back? Why don't you come and give back? And one of those, during one of those visits, just to placate her, I left a resume at a couple of the uh, colleges there and returned to New York where I was working the Wall Street scene, having a wonderful time and enjoying New York. And I think it was maybe two years later, my mother passed mm. and the month she passed, I received a call from West Virginia State University saying, we've had your resume now on hand for a couple of years. We'd like for you to come back and interview for a job. Hmm. Well, I was afraid not to return. I was like, Mom, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> so I went in for the interview, and they hired me. So that's how I ended up returning to uh West Virginia and even then I was saying okay mom I'll stay here and hopefully you'll be satisfied I'll, I'll do it for a couple of years and then I'll I'll return to uh, New York and go about my life and you, that you are a, a black woman I am um, working on Wall Street and then returning to West Virginia and I'm not trying to poke anything at them I'm just asking was it a step backwards? Well, I didn't think of it as that. I thought of it as mom's angel saying, do what I told you to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't. But I mean, for, did you sense from others that um, you were still, was it more complicated? Wasn't comp- wasn't complicated at all. Okay. You know, it wasn't complicated at all. Um I had a, a, a extremely um, good and respectful relationship with my parents, uh, and they loved me and supported me uh, through everything that I did, and I just felt like this was something that I owed her, and uh, she had made me believe that. But I did, however, because uh, I was about to start a PhD at NYU, which is where I received my a master's degree. But I did call a brother on the West Coast who was also among one of the younger ones who had attended college mm-hmm. and had his degree in anthropology and linguistics. Oh and uh, I called him and told him ab- about the situation, and he encouraged me. He said, well, look, if a university wants to hire you and you only have a master's, he said, go ahead and go back and do it. So that was the other the other urge or or sanction uh, of 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 progress that I needed, hearing from an older brother and and following my mother's wishes during the month that she passed. So yes, I I didn't think of it as anything except this is what I'm going to do. I'll halt for a minute, go do this, and then I'll I'll return to New York. But that's when you got your you you came and did a PhD here at OU. And then, really, I have to butt in here a moment because I had uh, been, um, I actually had been asked by T to come to West Virginia State University a couple of times to uh, to kind of guest teach in a couple of her classes. And I have to say, you know, at the time she began there, it was just West Virginia 
State College, and it became a university because it uh, developed these master's programs and so forth. But she was really instrumental uh, with a couple other faculty in making that happen and also in bringing in an, an enormous amount of uh, foreign students and international students of all sorts of, into all different kinds of programs. I think that was her big gift back to West Virginia State, really. And uh, I had grant writing ability, so I did develop uh, quite a few grants from the Department of Education uh, that took us abroad, which is how we uh, made that international connection and developed an international studies program there. The Department of Education's Title uh, Nine and Six helped a, a, a lot, and uh, that is one of the skills that I have been able to bring to the um, Preservation Society is the grants writing. And one of our most recent ones from the Smithsonian's National Trust, the African American uh, Trust Company, has helped us to help start launching some of the work that we need to do in saving those half a million dollar windows. And we're very grateful for that. But also local, local um, foundations have also helped us. The Athens County Foundation, the Oblinus Foundation, the uh, Foundation for Appalachian Ohio, the Central uh, Appalachian Seed Learning Project, many of them have, uh, have given money toward our efforts. Well, Milena, um, golly, over the years you've been engaged in so many different organizations and <laughs> Uh, I've known you from some of them. Um, what makes you the way you are? Oh, boy. Well, probably my immigrant background. I mean, my family comes, uh, we, we're relatively new to America, about 1911. We didn't have people here before then. Where are we? So my father's from Germany, and my mother's entire family are Serbian, uh, oh. coming from a lot of different areas, but mostly Bosnia in the former Yugoslavia. So I grew up in a uh, in a rural household east of Mansfield, Ohio, but uh, our family was really kind of unique in terms of my fellow students in school and that sort of thing, because I grew up in a household where, you know, our cultures were very different from theirs. There were three languages spoken in my house. There was all this uh, food uh, from different uh, parts of the world where, you know, my, my friends didn't, didn't have that exposure at all. So, um, and, and my dad was the kind of guy who believed, you know, that I could do anything and just always said that, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to. What was his profession? Well, my dad was um, a mechanic, actually, and uh, in World War II, he worked on, and, and, he, and worked on, big, big, heavy equipment, you know, this road equipment that you sure. see. He, he And he became superintendent of maintenance for the Richland County uh, Department. Of, and um, But he was an inventor as well and a tool and die man. And, and we had a, a garage out in the country where we lived, too. And he, he would bring this heavy-duty equipment home and tear it all apart and put it back together. It was like a big jigsaw puzzle and a lot of fun for him. He was an interesting man. And... Um, and very highly entertaining. He could have been a stand-up comic. He was very quick-witted. <laughs> and uh, um, so uh, I ended up uh, coming to school here when I was 17 uh, in the theater department. That was my undergraduate degree, although I broke it up and I was back and forth to California, which is my other home. And uh, I have a lot of family out there. And so... Um, uh, no, California's I, a big state. Be a little more specific. Uh, Los Angeles area okay. mostly. Okay. And um, uh, and then every time I'd come, this is my fourth time of returning from California to Athens. Really? I, I just, um, I, I, I seem to get stuck here because of these hills, these Appalachian hills. They seem to draw me back every time. And, and so... Um, I you know, I you doubt know. it's just that. Well, it's it's a lot of that, and um, <clears throat> and um, I'm a singer-songwriter. That's part of one of the things I've done in my lifetime to make a living. You knew me mostly through Appalachian Visiting Nurses and Hospice when I was the development director there. But but I taught at Hawking College. I've um, 
I, I worked in manufacturing in California and overseas in Germany and, and uh, in Europe for many years as an international sales and marketing manager. So I, I was in the waterbed industry. I, you know, I've been all around. I had a jingles business for many years, and um, I'm actually currently working on a jingle. Uh, I can't talk about it a no. little bit more specifically <laughs> on law, on air than that, but um, uh, I, folks, that, just in case you don't know that expression, sometimes you hear a, a musical song for thirty or sixty seconds that talks right. about a business, right? And then you have an announcer that talks along with it, right? Uh, so that's a jingle. That's a jingle. And back in the sixties, seventies, I mean, I think people probably remember the McDonald's jingles and some of those early jingles more. And, and I always said when I was in California and people would say, oh, you should be a jingles writer. And I'd say, oh, you know, I, I don't want to write, you know, 30 second spots. And then the first time I got paid for one, I thought, oh, wow, this is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of my history. And I love Athens and I love Appalachian people and these hills and um and i you know i'm still back and forth between california though i no longer own a home there but my family are there and <clears throat> so yeah this is a great place and i have a lot of energy and a lot of my life vested here in in athens you know so sure um i've seen a lot of changes and been through a lot of mayoral <laughs> people over the years <laughs> and i might add that melinda and i met on the bike path uh, here in uh, oh, Athens, and she, uh, that relationship has been uh, absolutely wonderful, and she has been a strong and heavy supporter of our efforts there at Mount Zion, and we uh, treasure her being able to uh, join us in our efforts uh, with the Juneteenth program coming up and the Bessie Smith uh, uh, program also. Well, you know, the, uh, it's it's going to be a neat show and very entertaining, and uh, I have some familiarity with um, Lady D, um, who is the the principal um, in the show. Really? So, um, just a little. Um, the um, what are goals yet to be achieved? Well, you know, I just wanted to mention, and maybe this is a goal yet to be achieved, but as we've, I've helped T write some grants for Mount Zion and mm -hmm. promote things and so forth. And when we talk about a black cultural center and being part of this heritage uh, square movement and so forth, one of the things we include a lot, actually, in, in our grants writing is the idea, and this is very much coming from not only Mount Zion people, but of course Mayor Patterson, the city council, everybody for years has talked about and promoted Athens as a, a, a tourism uh, attraction. And when these buildings are renovated and completed and, and developed like they are being done, this is just a tremendous... Uh, not only from an historical aspect, but entertainment and cultural aspect, uh, educational aspect for not only students, but local people who may not know their own Appalachian history very well. I think that's the purpose, certainly, of the Southeast History, uh, Ohio History Center here. And so we're just all working together to coordinate this effort. I think it could be so such a strong um, uh, point of interest for tourists from all over the world, really. Wow. Well, um, you know, I moved here from Honolulu, and uh, but I had, you know, various spells in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and other places too. Anyway, Columbus certainly is my hometown, Worthington. Uh, but I worked in Columbus a lot. The I, d I don't know why I love Athens so much, but I do. <laughs> I just can't imagine living anywhere else. <laughs> I think it has such a cross uh, cross section of everything that's cool. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. 
and um, oh well. So let's let's uh, do a recap here. The Mount Zion Cultural Center, Black Cultural Center, has this long history of being a, a Baptist church. 1906. Well, it was founded even before that, but the building as we know it today, 1906. Um, now there's this cultural center um, responsibility. And the, the people that are involved in this are not just black. It's a cross-section of our community. Many people well-known and well-respected. And um, the goal is, one more time, what is the goal of preserving the Mount Zion Black Cultural Center? Just that, to have it as a black cultural center for the community as a place for gathering for introducing all kinds of things, such as what we're doing now as a performance space. as And eventually, we hope to have that soul food restaurant yeah, <laughs> yeah. for people t- to enjoy uh, the wonderful cuisine that came out of, out of that particular culture also. Being a foodie, I, I would look forward to it. <laughs> okay. Now... Um, if someone wanted to learn more or maybe they've learned so much that they would like to get involved themselves, uh, what would you suggest? I would certainly suggest that they come to the Juneteenth celebration where we will have more literature and more information for them than they even care to know about. <laughs> <laughs> so June the 18th, anytime between, join us with the walk so that you can f- learn about the history uh, that you may or may not know about. Uh, we also have a film called Black Wall Street, Athens County, that was uh, premiered in uh, Black History Month, and we will have that film available also that will talk about that. We had that played in the uh, Athens County School District, and that culminated in a uh, contest called Saving Places Challenge that the children participated in, in terms of places that they might like to save, and, and they did some wonderful art and development of sculpting pieces, etc., and that is now on display at the Athens County Public Library called the Children's Saving Places Challenge. Stop by the library. You can pick up information there about Mount Zion also and see the wonderful renderings that those children from not only the high school but from the middle school uh, did. It's a wonderful art exhibit there. Yeah, well, that's where I was going to go next. I I just heard you. Um, if if there's a website, yes, where uh, people could go and learn about all these different things, yes, and, where and like the specific schedule of uh, Juneteenth in Athens, which is on the 18th, not the 19th, right? And um, it's just all this sort of thing. Okay, where our website is www Mount Zion, Athens. Mount is spelt out M-O-U-N-T, Zion, Z-I-O-N, Athens, dot org. No spaces. No spaces. Yeah, Mount Zion, Athens, dot org. Yes. Okay. And um, now the show is going to be at the um, History Center. Um. Yes, and there are tickets. That's that's uh, the corner of, um, oh, help. State and and Congress. Yes, thank you. And Um, so the tickets are $20 a piece. Unless you buy four. Unless you buy four. Then it's 60. And then it's 60, so take some friends and... and come to this. It, it's going to be really, uh, I think, a wonder. If if people, if your listeners are familiar at all with the many years that Hal Holbrook did uh, Mark Twain, for instance, it's this kind of um, an experience, I think, about Bessie Smith's life. And I think it's just going to be really, the entertainment will be wonderful. And 
uh, Lady D has got a tremendous voice, and, and her band is, is really worth hearing. So, Now, I'm a little surprised to have you mention Hal Holbrook. I worked with him for many years at uh-huh. Playhouse on the Green. Now, uh, when he was an unknown. Now, um, <clears throat> but I've never put him together with the kind of show you're doing. I mean, that's an interesting linkage. But anyway, West Virginia's First Lady of Soul. It's Lady D. Her real name's Doris Fields. Uh, she is the um, the lead in this thing, and she is really good. We're, we're talking about jazz and blues. Right. A real talent. And, um, of course, um, a great music act uh, backing her up, too. So that's a 7 o'clock performance, a couple hours long at the Southeast Ohio History Center on June 18th. And to get those tickets, where should they, uh, how should they go about that? They can pick up tickets at the Southeast Ohio History Center there on the corner of State Street and Congress. Right. Or they can call. Sorry, I don't have that number, but they can call and reserve a ticket there also. Okay. Now, um, so this just list three or four or five items in which people could get engaged with the Mount Zion Black Cultural Center. And by engaged, I don't mean just send a contribution. But if if they're moved and they think this is something really special for our community, how could, where, where can people help? My goodness. <laughs> Where can they not help? Please go to our website and just send us your name. We have all kinds of uh, work that we uh, can have you engage uh, with us in, uh, from grants writing to lawn care to uh, uh there are so many I can't even think at helping us uh, get our word out. We're starting a, um, a, a big capital campaign. We certainly l- wish for others to join us in developing our, our capital campaign, which we hope to launch during the BAR weekend this year. Um, Melinda mentioned that earlier. BAR stands for Black Alumni Reunion. That takes uh, place every three years, mm-hmm. and that will be happening this coming September and which is when we hope to launch the capital campaign. So there are there are multiple tasks that we have that would be uh, I hopeful hopefully would be interesting to those who are who have different kinds of skills. We need them all. We need ticket takers. We need people to help us table at these events, um, or we need volunteers and students and community members who have maybe uh, talents to doing, helping put newsletters together, or helping. Uh, maybe they have some artistic talent, or um, you know, just all kinds of creative fundraising people. ideas. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Well, I know my wife was involved with the uh, Multicultural Center on campus. And uh, the Black Alumni um, Reunion was Mm -hmm. um, a major deal. And um, she she thoroughly enjoyed working on that. Well, um, so that's coming up. uh, That's that's done every three years, right? Yes, every three years. T, I'm curious. Had they run out of names by the 13th child? (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely not. By then, let's see, I had a sister in World War I who had served in Rome uh, and other places. And when she found out that my mother was still having children at 50, she had visited the Trevi Fountain. And so she sent that name back, Trevi. which is actually my uh, my name, a uh, Trevelia, but the nickname is Trevi. I like that. Uh, and I, of course, just cut it short sure. to T. Sure. Especially, you find that uh, when you're in working with young people, they do not like to. Uh, they want everything quick, short, and immediately. Even though I said I'm introduced myself as Trevelyan Ford Ahmed, I became Dr. T immediately with no no hesitation. So that's now I just use T 
and I put two E's to it, and I became T, mainly because of my students. Well, okay, I'm going to add two E's here on my notes. <laughs> T for There we go. Well, listen, uh, both you ladies, it's so nice of you to come in. It's so great, the things you're doing. Uh, folks, this is a, this um, Juneteenth in Athens is observed on June 18th rather than the 19th. It's a great performance. It's going to be held at the Southeast Ohio History Center. As we said, tickets are $20. But if you have a party or four or more, it goes down to 15 apiece. We're out of time. Be careful out there, please. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. Athens. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez, wrenching testimony about to begin on Capitol Hill in a bid to persuade lawmakers to come to an agreement on stricter gun laws. Survivors and relatives of the victims of the Uvalde and Buffalo massacres will testify, including a young girl who smeared herself with blood at the school in Texas so the gunman would think she was dead. Garnell Whitfield's mother was killed in the supermarket shooting. There's a lot of other people who don't support what we're trying to do here. We need to hold them accountable. Just in, the Justice Department says Attorney General Merrick Garland will announce today he's ordered a critical incident review of the shooting in Uvalde. Experts say one reason for the increase in gun violence is the sheer number of firearms in private hands. Correspondent Jeff Pegues takes a closer look. ATF Special Agent John DeVito and Deputy New York City Commissioner John Miller say gun arrests are up in the city. But there is a bigger problem. 80% of the people we arrest with loaded guns in the street um, are not in jail or in prison. 4,900 ar gun arrests last year alone. Only 17% of them were prosecuted. Officials tell Jeff people are stockpiling ghost guns because starting this August, they'll require serial numbers that make them traceable. Lawmakers investigating the January 6th attack are promising explosive new information during tomorrow night's primetime public hearings. CBS's Robert Costa. They do have new testimony that's coming from both video they've recorded from depositions. They're also going to have live witnesses, a Capitol Police officer, a documentary filmmaker who was with members of the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers on the eve of the insurrection. And they're going to have a composite presentation that tries to bring that all together. The World Health Organization says more more than 1,000 monkeypox cases have been reported outside countries in Africa, where it commonly spreads. Director General Dr. Ted Gebreus is, is worried. WHO is particularly concerned about the risks of this virus for vulnerable groups, including children and pregnant women. More than 30 cases have been reported in the U.S. Moderna reporting success with an updated COVID vaccine. CBS's Stacey Lynn. It's a combo shot made to target the original coronavirus strain and the Omicron variant. People given the shot experienced an eight-fold increase in virus-fighting antibodies that can fight off Omicron.